Welcome to In the Fire, a podcast for the young families of Chapelgate Presbyterian Church. Marriage and parenting are a wonderful blessing and are extremely rewarding, but they're also really hard and can leave us feeling exhausted, overwhelmed, and defeated. That's exactly why we started this podcast, to help families see how the gospel injects encouragement, comfort, and hope into the daily grind of our lives, and to remind you that you're never alone in the struggle. There is another In the Fire. Hello, welcome back to In the Fire. My name is Rob Gicking. Uh, I am the host of this podcast and the director of Young Family Ministry here at Chapelgate. And I'm joined today by Patrick Allen, who is one of the pastors here at church. Patrick was actually our first episode ever, so this is a, a really momentous day, mostly in his life. Um, obviously, being on a podcast that's like, what, number 15 in Kenya, I think, is what what I saw. is pretty big deal for you, Patrick, yeah? Yeah, I heard uh, all of five people have listened to it now, so including my family. <laughs> so hurtful. <laughs> well, anyway, uh, we are excited to talk to Patrick again, and this episode is brought to you by LaCroix. No, that's a lie. Can I we just... get a different brand uh, logo for LaCroix? Is LaCroix. it time for an update? LaCroix. LaCroix? LaCroix? That's the question of the day, folks. Uh, how do you pronounce LaCroix? <laughs> zero calories, zero sweetener, zero sodium, innocent. But we all know that's not true. Original sin impacts every part of our life. Including LaCroix. All right. Enough funny business, Patrick. It's time for a hard-hitting question. Are you ready? Hit me. All right. If you could transform into one animal, what animal would that be? That's a great question. Thank you. Uh, if I could transform into any animal, I think I would probably transform into a tiger. I would not have guessed that about you. What? Well, I don't seem, know whether to be offended or curious. Well, you haven't heard what I, I have to say yet. That's why I'm listening. Yeah, you seem more like an anteater type to me. <laughs> anteater? Yeah. Hmm. You know, just kind of... Snacking away snacking all day, away. just all day graze. Yep. It's like, it's Peaceful. not the quality, it's the quantity. Yeah, and you know, what was the last time you heard about someone getting mauled by an anteater? Are you trying to say I'm not fearsome like a tiger? I'm just saying I, I see you as a as a gentle... A gentle uh, mammal. Mm. I think that's a mammal, an anteater. Could be. Also, it's just a funny thing to say, anteater. Yeah, they couldn't come up with another name. No, it's a pretty straightforward name. It's you're like, defined by what you eat. You're defined by what you eat. I'd be a Cheeto. <laughs> <laughs> Not a cheetah, a Cheeto. It's, like, it's the only animal defined by what it eats. Yeah, I think you might be right. They, they looked at the anteater and they said, this is the best that we could do. Yeah. You're a freaky looking thing. We'll just, yeah, we'll like, just call you an anteater. We don't know what you are with the nose and the thing. It's all thing. Well, Patrick, tell us what you do here at church. For those of you who maybe uh, hadn't heard Patrick on, on episode uh, season one, episode one of In the Fire. Patrick, what do you do here at Chapelgate? Um, tell our listeners. Yeah, I'm a pastor here on staff. I'm, uh, I'm probably more of a generalist. Uh, so that means I have a lot of hand, uh, hands. Not a lot of hands. I have hands two. in a lot of different things. That's right. I only have two hands. But um, my primary focus is in the area of spiritual formation and discipleship, and uh, that's where I spend the bulk of my time. Right. So So that's actually why I I wanted to sit down with you today, is because today we're going to have a discussion um, that really is extremely important for our marriages and, and in parenting about pursuing the heart, which is kind of a discipleship phrase. Yes. Yeah, pursuing the heart is, is a huge part of it. 
So in in your own you know explanation, how would you describe that phrase, pursuing the heart? What does that mean? And then we'll talk about how it sort of impacts our parenting and our marriages. Yeah, well, I think, you know, you have to define your terms, and that's sort of what we're doing here. But in terms of like the heart, you know, when the Bible talks about the heart, it's talking about the whole of the person. It's not just talking about their emotions and their feelings. And so you have to sort of distill out, okay, well, what does it mean to look at a whole person and to uh, see a person formed, conformed and formed in the image of God? Um, so looking at their heart, their desires, their emotions, and their choices, their thoughts, all of those things encompany, encompass what it means to pursue the heart. And we see that with Jesus, that really is his model, right? Mm-hmm. He's, not, um, he's not exclusively a teacher mm-hmm. dispensing information. He's engaging each person individually in a personal, relational way. Yeah, I mean, Jesus, you know, in John 3 could see into the hearts of men. It might have been the end of John 2, where, you know, he saw the crowds, he saw what was in their hearts, right? And he's the only one that I know that can actually do that, you know, right. up until now. So so he understands deeper than you and I could ever what is going on, what the motivations are, and, and all these other things. And so we're just sort of taking his model, right, and and trying to bring that to bear upon local church ministry. Mm-hmm. And what does it mean to pursue the heart with people? So in the context of discipleship, let's maybe just start there. When we talk about discipleship, what do we mean? Yeah, discipleship is walking with a few uh, people uh, over the course of time uh, with the intention of imparting the gospel and your life with them in the hopes that they would also go and do the same in the lives of others as well. So it's a <clears throat> very intentional process of walking with a few, just like Jesus did in the, with the disciples, yeah. where he gathered a few, and then he sent them out to preach, and, and he spent three years sort of walking with them. And yeah, and so like we see maybe another word for discipleship sometimes used is mentorship or mm-hmm. apprenticeship, the idea of being relationally involved uh, with people around you for the purpose of, of really advancing them as people. And when we talk about it, with Christianity, right, as, as followers of Christ, the whole point is that we would be more like Christ by the end of it, which is not, as you're saying, it's not just, it's not just I receive new knowledge, it's I'm, I'm being made into the likeness of Jesus in his teaching, but also in his lifestyle. Yes. So part of the goal of discipleship is to help people live out of their whole heart. So, you know, uh, an early form of Christian heresy was Gnosticism, which separated the mind and the body, and it had a truncated view of the heart. It said that there was this, this, this other knowledge that could be attained. And Jesus lived and ministered to that, to that whole heart. And what we're trying to do is help uh, people bridge that gap between information and the heart. You know, we live in the information age, and so what does it sort of mean to, to take and, and be in this age and sort of help people connect the dots in their lives? Um, and that's that's taking it from here all the way down to your heart, which you can't see, but I'm pointing at my head and I'm pointing at my heart. Right. <laughs> while which I'm doing this, which we've heard, we've all heard before, is you know it's it's the longest journey on earth, right? From 100%. the head to the heart. Yep. Okay. So then, in discipleship, we're we're pursuing the heart. It's this idea that I want to I want to get to know you, 
mm-hmm. and I want to walk with you through, let's say, the Bible or just any life circumstance you're going through and actually help you uncover what are your desires, mm-hmm. your fears, mm-hmm. your anxieties, your stresses, your dreams, you know, what's really going on underneath the hood of you, you know? Um, and I think uh, you and I have done a couple trainings sort of that help walk you through how to do that, right? Mm-hmm. You mentioned that, you know, Jesus, right, just being being fully man and fully God is able to perceive clearly what's going on around him in the minds of the people. But I am not a mind reader. You're not a mind reader. Our listeners are not mind readers. How do we even begin the process of engaging someone's heart? Yeah, I think that's a great question. <clears throat> I think it starts by really knowing people. I think in a in a culture that is very consumed with performance and outward appearance, um, cutting through all of that to really know where people are and where they would like to be in their lives and what is that gap for them in terms of their disappointments or maybe their missed opportunities and, and sort of walking with them in that as an intentional discipling moment. You know, we all have those things, right? The The gap between what my reality and expectations have been for my life. And, and yet the gospel wants to speak to that. And it, and, and God wants to speak to that, to that area. And so we have some tools that we give uh, people in terms of like training and equipping on how to do that. Um, We use this thing called the here exercise, um, which is um, the, the acrostic stands for the Holy Spirit, engaging the whole heart, asking open and powerful questions and then responding and that's sort of a it's sort of an artistic it's more artistic it's a more artistic tool than, than science you mean is that yeah yeah 100 percent. it's like it's like learning how to dance so that it becomes sort of normative and not mechanistic because if it is mechanistic sometimes people can feel uncomfortable 100 percent. right if if you're like let me what is it? Engage, engage me, what? Engage me, your whole heart. Let me let me engage your heart for a minute. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Let me ask you an open and powerful question. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's it, right. That's it, right. It becomes. Uh, it almost works against you in that sense. But so so re- read them again. It's here. H e a r. Yeah. H e r. It's a here acronym. Um, acknowledge. Holy Spirit is the first one. Acknowledging that the Holy Spirit is the best discipler. He is the one who converts. He's the one who justifies. He's the one that sanctifies and dwells in God's children. And we can rest in knowing that he is doing uh, every bit of heavy lifting needed in discipleship. He's doing the work in people's hearts. So that's the first part. It's just acknowledging that, you know, the Holy Spirit is at work. And so that so that's the first one. The second one is engaging the whole heart, which uh, looks at the word and the truth of the gospel and how it penetrates our heart. There's a temptation that we have as men. I'm only speaking as men to interact from a relational or a volitional aspect of the heart rather than being able to interact from our emotions and our deep desires. And so a good discipling model will help kind of draw that out. You know, we want to send, we want to kind of stay in the surface area, like facts and, and interesting points as opposed to getting underneath all of that. And that takes time and that takes relationship and that takes trust. So those are two, the first two points. Um, the second, the third one is asking open-ended questions. So Holy Spirit, engaging the whole heart, asking open and powerful questions. You know, when you're told somebody something, 
your brain isn't actually activated as much as when we are asked a question. God made our brains to go into like solution mode when we are asked a question. We want to ask questions around the whole heart. I find it in coaching. Like if I'm, if I'm coaching basketball or soccer and I've got, you know, nine-year-old girls and 11-year-old girls, and, and if I tell them to do something, I typically will get a blank stare. But if I give them choices, I said, you had, you know, you had the ball right there and you lost it. What, what, is, what is a different choice that you can make? Then I'm engaging them in a different place. And it's actually giving me the opportunity for, to go deeper with them. And there's some questions that we ask in terms of open and powerful questions that we call it, I call it actually like kind of a heart dance using these four questions. It's what do you, what do you think? What do you feel? What do you desire? And what are your choices? What do you think? What do you feel? What do you desire? And what are your choices? Yeah, that's right. So we, we ask whenever there's a presenting issue, like, I don't know if there, if you want to do a heart dance right yeah, now. Yeah, that, that might be helpful. So yeah. why don't we go ahead and do that? So this is, um, and a lot of this comes out in, in the, the discipleship we call life on life here at Chapelgate, right? Yep. So you have a group, I have a group. Yep. Um, there's a number of other groups. It's an opportunity to meet weekly and kind of go, go deep really mm-hmm. is what we're talking about. Not just into God's word, but also in, into one another's lives. Um, and so this sort of process that you and I are about to walk through is pretty normative. You know, for us, it's Wednesday morning. For you, it's Wednesday evening with your guys, right? And yep. this is kind of happens pretty often. But so let's just say, you know, we're sitting down um, and I kind of entered the room and you can just see like, I'm stressed. I'm having a hard, hard time. Let's just start right there. Yeah. Rob, you don't seem like your uh, gregarious uh, self uh, tonight, you know, you care, is something going on? Yeah, I feel a little tired. Um, I think this this stuff with, you know, at home with Kate and the pregnancy has just been weighing on me. Um, I'm feeling really just just frustrated. Yeah, just frustrated. What what in particular is, is frustrating? I, th- I think the fact that there's nothing I can do to control this. Mm. There's, you know, there's no step I can take, money I could spend, things I could do differently that is going to have any sort of impact on the outcome. It's totally out of my control. And uh, that's just a very frustrating place to be. Hmm. Yeah, I could I could hear the frustration. As you say, you're frustrated. What What's going on in your mind? It's just aggravating. You know, it's like your whole life, you're, you're sort of put in this, this, what's the word, conveyor belt program. Like it's, it's transactional, right? It's like, if you want to get good grades, you do your homework and you mm. study and you hopefully get good grades in school. And that gets you, you know, a better college offer. And then you go to the right college and you do well there, you get a good job, you do well in your job, you get paid. Everything seems to be, if you do the right things, a great reward follows. And here I am now in a situation where I'm going, I have no tools at my disposal. There's nothing I can, um, I can't do anything. And that's really, it puts me in this place where I like almost, like I know I should trust God, right? And I do in many ways trust God, but it puts me in a place where it, like the ball's not in my hands and that's just really stressful. Yeah. Yeah, what is this, what does it feel like? What does the stress feel like for you? The stress can feel sometimes 
um, like it makes me feel small mm-hmm. because I can't impact change. I'm not in control of my life. And that then is scary because you're forced to ask the question, so who is, are they good? Well, what if this doesn't turn out the way that we hope it does? Or what if it, what if it turns out the way we hope it does? And everyone's been, you know, um, stressed or worried about us for no, for no reason and maybe vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Um, I worry that we will overreach, like that, that people will surround us and they'll give and they'll give and they'll give um, and, and that I'll never be able to like repay them back relationally, mm-hmm. like that I'll be forever in a relational deficit to the mm-hmm. people of Chapelgate. Yeah. Um, you know, and you know, what is this going to do for my marriage? I mean, Kate's going to be at the hospital for six weeks, right? Um, I'll see her uh, hopefully a lot, but not as much as normal. And, you know, we'll definitely make it through. There's no fear of that, but certainly just worried that, uh, you know, can I juggle all the responsibilities that I have? Can I be, can I be a dad to Brad and Alex? Can I be a husband to Kate while she's at the hospital? And can I be the director of young family ministries for Chapelgate, you know, and pursue ordination exams? Like there's so many things up in the air. It's it's overwhelming Hmm. and feeling like, again, like you're just like, yeah, I've got no control here in this area, which is the number one cause of stress for me. So the number one stressor, I have no agency. Mm. That's <clears throat> that's good. I I, I want to ask: What if you had control? What would be different? Yeah, I think if if I had control here, I would change a lot of things. Right? I would somehow make it so that this was not a complicated pregnancy. Right? Um, that Kate did not have to go to the hospital. That these girls would not have to be in the NICU. That everything would just be hunky dory and moving along smoothly. And, uh, that would definitely make my life a lot easier. Um, but I'll also admit, and, and, you know, you've been walking with me through this really from the, from day one of kind of figuring all this stuff out is I have seen, even in my own relationship with God, a lot of growth in the past Mm. six months that really there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it come out of the dependence. It's a, it's a forced dependency. My two options right now are actually be dependent on God or fight against him. Well, you already got to the choices there. Right. <laughs> you got to the two choices. <laughs> right. You've, you've already determined the two choices here. But that's that's really where I go. I would have I would have circumnavigated all of this. Yeah. Right? Um by nature I am not really someone who backs down from a challenge, but I also don't seek it out. You know, like I know some people really like mm-hmm. to go for it. I'm not I'm not looking for trouble, if that makes sense. What well, sounded like one of the one of your desires was for the easier path. Yes, yeah, that's exactly what I'm saying. It's like there is a piece of me that's like, oh man, if you gave me, you know, here's kind of a, a like a level a level path that you could walk a mile in, or here's like a huge elevation change mile. I'm like, oh, level path seems nice, you know, like that seems stable and it seems predictable and it seems like a lot less stress and work. Yeah. Yeah, so your choices are radical dependence upon God or to, what was the other choice? I mean, fight against it. Fight against really, it. Really, because again, I don't actually have any agency here. There's nothing I can do except pray. So either I'm 
I'm going to God in prayer independence and I'm letting him actively change my heart and grow me in my dependence and in my faith and, or I'm going, no, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, and I'm, I don't mean to be, you know, insensitive, but I throw a temper tantrum mm. and I'm like, no, you're not in control of my life. I'm going to fight. I'm going to, I'm going to figure this out. I'm going to. And so you know, what is the opportunity for repentance there? Well, it's just to say, like, who do you actually want in charge? Hmm. Who do you who do you want in charge? Over and over and over, God's plans are better than the plans of man. The plans of man fail the second they die. God's plans stand eternal. If God doesn't watch out over over the building, the watchmen watch in vain. And like over and over again, we see it, and it's like you see it with Jesus and his disciples. And I'm no different. I know the truth, but it's hard to live it. And being able to just say that to God, like God, like the Father, you know, and his son, Lord, I believe, help me with my unbelief. Lord, I want to depend on you. I want to trust you in this. Help me to do that. I can't, I can't do it on my own. And uh, so the repentance is, I can't do it on my own, but the faith is, you promise never to leave me or forsake me or cast me out. And you also promise that if anyone lacks wisdom, he asks of you and you give it without reproach and you give it generously. So I'm coming to you now and I'm asking you for wisdom. And yeah. maybe the wisest thing is just to say the best person to be in control over my life and my family is not me. It's God. It's very true. It's very true. I mean, I think, you know, we all want to be, you know, Calvin, I think Jim uses this one all the time, but talks about like our hearts, a little idol factories. We want to make our, be our own little gods. And I think right. definitely hear you know, hear you on that. Like, and, um, you know, those, those desires, you know, you know, the desire for your wife to be safe is a good desire. I would say that's not a bad desire. You know, the desire for your daughters to be healthy and strong is a good desire. You know, those are not bad desires. You know, it becomes bad and twisted when those become, you know, conditional desires, you know, or, you know, and, and that's really tough. That's the tough place to be. You're living in that like sort of liminal space where, you know, it's, you know, what's behind you, you know where you are, but you don't know where you're going. And it is that radical dependence on God and his spirit. And yeah. And you asked me about desires. Like I want to be in control. And I think, you know, just as you were talking, I was like, it's because in many ways, I want to be, you know, the captain of my own fate and I want to be the hero of my own story. Yep. Those are my desires. And so the repentance is actually to repent of trying to be your own God, essentially, Mm. trying to not be dependent. Right. You know, I'm... I want to build my tower. I I want my own tower because I think I can make it pretty good. Right. And that's wrong. You know? And that's hard to say it's wrong, right? Because it's like, well, if if I was in control, I would fix the problem. Yeah. And it's it is it is scary, and I would make the scary go away. And how how can you know? And our hearts are deceitful, right? Yep. And we think, oh yeah, if if only I was in control, this would all be better. Yeah. Well, no. And like you said, that's where I have to repent and and believe. And so what you and I just walked through is the type of conversation that pursuing the heart looks like. Mm-hmm in discipleship. Yeah. Yeah. And we didn't, I didn't ask the four questions in this, in the mechanical sort of way, like, you know, just hearing what you said, 
And, you know, if we're like now looking at the conversation we just had as right. like outsiders, you know, I just hearing, you know, lots of desires sort of woven in there, lots of, um, lots of thoughts and lots of feelings and sort of distilling out, okay, praying while I'm talking with you, you know, I'm praying, Holy Spirit, lead me, you know, what's going on in his heart. And, and, and we can do that kind of thing actually in our whole lives, you know, with people that we encounter. Well, here's what's interesting too, Patrick, is uh, pursuing the heart started at the very beginning when you asked me like, hey, you seem, you seem like, is everything okay? I remember you said, is everything okay? Or like, how you doing? Yeah. Versus like, you know, it could, it could have been really easy. Now, again, we're doing this exercise for the purpose of the exercise, but I could definitely have seen, you know, if we took a more coaching route, like, you know, your football coach route, it would have been like, Hey man, do you want to be here or not? You know, it's like you just walked yeah. into Bible study. Like, hey, are you like you got a problem? You need to go home? Or are you trying to engage? Like, what? Yeah. Are you, and we can kind of get on the person, or I can go like, man, that, you know, Rob's looking a little down. He's looking a little gloomy. <laughs> gregarious. He said, yeah. "Gregarious, you're not your gregarious self." You know, yeah. it's like, hey, like, is that an opportunity to press in mm-hmm. to pursue his heart? To and, pursue. What, and and it's because I know you exactly. I know you well enough to know like. At one level, like, wow, like something's going on that doesn't smell right, right? Right. And it's like, it's sort of taking it out of that, like, um, that that realm where you can just give, it, it takes it out of the realm where you can just give information and be content with that. And it takes it to the heart and to a different place. So, so now let's talk about, obviously, most of our audience here are young families. Yeah. Pursuing the heart and discipleship. Am How I does, still a young family, by the way? I mean, technically, you you have. I have a nine-year-old. Does yeah. that make is that young? I don't know. Maybe. Well, it's more about the family age, less about the parents' age. <laughs> okay. You know, we try not to age anyone That's right. in or no, out. That's right. We want to be ageist. Yeah, we be ageist. Okay. Yeah, we don't want to be ageist. But this is helpful in in our marriages and our parenting, right? Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, little little kids are like little. You know, our, our primary calling is to disciple them. And we disciple them in all kinds of things. I mean, you know, you give them an iPad and Dora the Explorer is discipling them in in choices, That's right? right? And making choices. I, I don't even know if Dora is still a thing. But, you know, we. so that's our primary calling. In addition to following God and loving our spouse, it's to disciple our children. And yet we don't really... That, that can be sort of nebulous. That can be really tough. Right. What does that look like? And how do I pursue their heart in the midst of, of it, especially when there's all kinds of things going on? And that is going to look different at different ages. Yes. I mean, certainly, you know, where, where my stage is as a young family and your stage as a young family, they're different. You know, um, you know if Brad or Alex is... And, and really, you're going to see your greatest opportunities. Maybe we should even start here. Your greatest opportunities are often in the highs and lows. 100%. Right? And especially the lows, right? When your child has just downright rebelled, disobeyed, is is like reeking of sin, mm-hmm. you have an opportunity to pursue their heart in a way that you just might not have in any other time or place. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Well, I think you can use these same questions with them in a different way. Like... Um, you know, because we see the outward, right? Like we, you know, we have, according to Paul Tripp, we have power tools that we use. We use, uh, that, because we want control. 
And this is especially true the younger the kids are, right? Because we conform, we're trying to shape them, we want them to listen and and do what we've told them to do, partly for their protection, but also part of that like sort of guardrails that we're putting in and in their lives that's good for them. Like Hebrews talks about, you know, discipline is, a love of a father is to discipline a child, or just like God disciplines us. And the power tools we use are fear, reward, and shame, oftentimes negatively, all three of those things, you know? If you don't do this, um, then uh, then this, you know, uh, you don't know what is going to happen if you if you don't go upstairs, right? That's fear, right? Reward, um, you know, we we want to promise something down the future for them to give us the behavior that we're looking for in the moment, or or even shame to a lesser extent, you know. Well, you know, dad was really happy before, you know, we had kids you know, using things like that to sort of manipulate and, and play. And, and, and all kids are going to have emotional and, and um, behavioral issues. That's just normative. And so how do we pursue the heart? What does that look like? You know, what does it look like to take all of the, the, the stuff and the angst that we feel when they're not conforming or maybe they're embarrassing um, or maybe, uh, they're not um, representing our family system well, you know. How do what do we do with that? Because that's oftentimes it's about us, and it's not really about them, you know. Um, you know, you can ask the question like, "What's going on?" and sort of similar to what I did, like just ask the question, "What's going on? Um, what are you thinking and feeling when that happened?" and and you can get a range of different responses for that. Those are. Those in particular are questions that are looking at the heart and not just the outward behavior, right? Um, you could ask, what did you do in response and why did you do it? You know, in, in the presenting situation, what, what was it that, that triggered you to punch the wall or to uh, trip that other kid? You know, what, what was going on? And, uh, and then getting into the same kind of motives, desires questions. What do you want? to be the case? What do you want to happen? Um, looking at, you know, thoughts, desires, and outcomes, and then, and then asking them, lastly, what was the result? You know, you got what you wanted. Like you, you, you tripped that kid, you know, you said that mean thing. What was it that you wanted to happen? And sort of working through those questions kind of initially mechanically, because you want to put it in language that they can kind of understand. And again, the younger they are, the harder it is to, to kind of do this. But, you know, I think pursuing that should be, should be as important as making sure that they get into the next grade level. Yeah. I, and learn I, to read and write. Right? I think that's fantastic. I mean, and there is, there is the, you know, the asterisk, like see the footnote and the footnote would say, from zero to four, this is this is really really hard. You can start to maybe do it in the three and the four, but I mean it might even be even more simplistic than we're talking. It might be like, hey, why did you get in trouble? What did you do? Oh, I did. I I pushed my brother. Okay, why did you push your brother? And sometimes they can answer, and sometimes they you know it was ten was minutes there. ago. Yeah, it was like he was in the way. You <laughs> he know, was in the way. Uh, you know, and you you begin to just walk through that and and even show your care and your concern and how you deal with them in that moment. But as they get older to ask those questions, you know, like, like what were you feeling? Like, why, like you pushed your brother. That's obvious. I don't need to ask you what you did. You're, you're, you're 10 now. 
you did push your brother. Why did you push your brother? Well, he said this. And how did that make you feel? It made me feel really angry. Okay. You know, like, what do you wish you had done instead? Or like, what, mm-hmm. why, what was the desire you were hoping to, to accomplish or soothe when you pushed him? You know, like, and to, to be able to walk that through. I, I think of a time um, specifically when I was about 13 or 14 and I got ejected from a baseball game. Um, pitch was like way low, way outside. I was in a slump. I was really, really agitated. I was not playing very good baseball. And, um, I just remember saying, you know, that's ridiculous. I mean, 14 year old kid, I I didn't say it loud. I wasn't like super bold about it, but the umpire heard me. And apparently that was enough to, to toss me. I mean, soft call if you're asking sports fans, but you know, at the end of the day, you know, he, I got ejected. Well, I mean, I was embarrassed. I was, I was just like mortified. I, I knew I was a Christian. I shouldn't have gotten ejected. You know, I shouldn't have had that emotional outburst. I'm better than that. All, all these things are swirling through my head. And that's a great opportunity to pursue a heart, right? Mm-hmm. Sometimes we might jump straight to discipline with our kids in that moment. It might be like, yes. oh, I got to take away his phone. And, you know, like he needs to, I don't know, like no TV time for a week or, you know, we, we kind of jump to that as if the kid doesn't know what they just did was wrong. They probably do. I mean, I there was no doubt in my mind that getting ejected from a baseball game for arguing with an umpire was a bad thing. I knew it was wrong. It was bad. And uh, probably the greatest growth opportunity was that, you know, talking about it. Yeah, having a good conversation and kind of processing those things is important. Right. Um, uh, hey, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, we've been we've been uh what is special it? guest. Yeah, special guest Mike Kanjan just burst in the room. <laughs> no, but I, I I do think that there is like there's a window between like five and fourteen. Fourteen they start getting to the age. Like it's all about like okay, it's control, right? Is is some of our sin pattern. And and how do you parent to pursue the heart, but then move to parenting alongside them as they are getting ready to launch into become 18 and you know sort of an adult and and even parenting older children as they've come back you know there's going to be a different thing there as well i'm not there yet so i can't speak from personal experience so but let's go through that really quick and we'll do it much faster than we did with the with the example you mean mm-hmm. i just got ejected from the baseball game um you're you're my dad like how how would you how would you walk through pursuing my heart there? Yeah, I, at first I would probably, in my mind, I'd have to probably repent because I'd probably be upset. It's like, yeah. oh, Rob, you know, what are you doing, you know? And then I calmly kind of go over and I'd say, hey, what what happened? What right. happened? Bad call. I, I said it was ridiculous and I got ejected. Yeah, what what were you feeling when you saw, when, it, when what were you thinking as you we're going through that process that that was a terrible call. And I like, it wasn't fair. Yeah. It wasn't fair that I'm out because he doesn't know where the strike zone is. Yeah. And what did you feel? You said it, what didn't feel fair was there other feelings that it drew up. Think embarrassment. Yeah. Like it's not fun to strike out so much and, um, let your team down. Yeah. What would you desire to happen when you walk up to the plate? Probably, probably to like get a hit every time. I mean, just to be, to be good and to help my team win and to to be part of the that process and not a liability. Well, I'm just going to insert some advice here 
you pretend you're 13. All right. Hey, buddy, you know, major leaguers only hit three out of 10 times. Right. They don't hit it every time. Right. You know, you're, you, you don't have to hit it every time. You yeah. just, you go up there and do your best, you know. It, it just feels like I'm going to get benched or kicked off the team or something. Yeah, and I certainly understand that. That That's a, that's a real fear. Um, what do you want to do? What are your choices? Apologize to the umpire. Sounds apologize like to my choice. team. Maybe, maybe try to work on my anger issues a little bit. Those are, those are good choices. Do you have other choices? Quit. Okay. That's a choice. I don't know. You could also continue in this trajectory. Yeah. That's another choice. Just be mad every single time the play doesn't go your way. Yeah, it doesn't seem like a good option. Yeah, so 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 you have some choices. What do you want to choose? What do you want to choose to do? I want to be I want to be a better teammate, you know, getting ejected is definitely worse than striking out. Yeah, which 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 choice do you think will help you become a better teammate? Probably the first one. Yeah. Asking for forgiveness and then and then trying to be a better person first and then baseball player second. Yeah. So in that conversation, right, that was quick and obviously like I I'm You're not thirteen. I'm not thirteen. <laughs> um but there is a you know, so I'm I'm sure I'm speaking in ways that are different than a thirteen year old would speak. <laughs> but there is like I did this in youth ministry, right? I would do this kind of stuff. Like when a kid had a behavior issue at a retreat or a camp or even just a regular event, it's like, Hey man, like what's going on? What? Like you, you like, I'm in the middle of, of giving a talk and you decided now is a good time to like throw a dodgeball at my face in front of 80 kids. Oof. Right. And you're like, I could, I could like wail it back at you, you know, like that, that's one of my options, you know, yeah. <laughs> or I could yeah, be like, this is an opportunity to talk to this kid, ask him, what do you, you know, sometimes we just do dumb stuff. Yeah. And sometimes right. it's that simple. Like, yeah, I don't know. I don't know why I did that. Cool. Do you, you wish you hadn't? Yeah, I kind of do like, great. And you can go from there. So we see, I think pretty, pretty well at this point that with kids as parents, we, we tend to do one of two things, but there's a better options. The third, we either, we either only care about behavior, right? I only care about your behavior. You embarrassed me. You need to learn your lesson. You disobeyed me. You need to learn your lesson. I'm way too passive, right? And I'm afraid that any sort of discipline or engagement is going to be too harsh for my kid. That's either mom, mom's the disciplinarian or dad's the disciplinarian. And I don't want anything to do with it. Right. Yeah. You can, you can kind of schlup off that responsibility. So you either only care about behavior. You're too afraid uh, you know, to engage with the behavior, or this is where the gospel kicks in. You actually see their behavior as an opportunity to speak the truth in love and engage their heart. Yeah. So I think that you, you've explained that really well. Um, we don't have a whole lot of time left, but I want to make sure we talk about our marriages. As you know, having been married for more than three days and me for more than three days, sometimes we don't quite see eye to eye with our spouse. What? I know. No. Yes, it's true. At least in my marriage, maybe not yours, Patrick, but no, my marriage is my primary means of sanctification. That's in right, in a positive way. Yeah, nothing, nothing uh, matures you quite like a, a you know a, a challenging experience, right? Well, you know, my wife uh, and I have very different uh, Myers Briggs profiles, which is God's ordained path for me to to grow and learn. And you know, as 
we had a this is a long a short story quick uh i had a seminary professor who when you see when we laid out our myers-briggs profiles you know he said that you know oh people that have three points together you know they're gonna be very tight early on and and later on in life they're gonna struggle and that and then he looked at ours and we had like one point in common and he said well, you guys got a lot of room for growth. There you go. That's that positive spin, you know, <laughs> like, silver lining. Like, yes, we have a lot of room for growth. But in those moments, I think because you're so close to your spouse, it can seem like the hardest thing to do in the middle of a disagreement, a fight, an argument is to actually pursue the heart. But that is actually exactly the best way to handle this. 100%. So, you know... As we think about pursuing the heart, you know, the first thing is, I love this, the here, 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 here is here. like, that's where we have to be. Yep. That's where we have to live in our marriages and in our, with our kids. Because it starts with what? Holy Spirit, The baby. Holy Spirit. I acknowledge that I do not have the human capacity to love someone more than myself. And yet that is the exact vow I took when I got married to this somebody in the first place. And here I am now in sicker and poorer and angrier trying to love this person across from me. And I just can't do it. Lord, help me. Amen. So then it's in actually that posture, if if I can even get there. Sometimes, like, I'll be honest, I don't even get there. I go straight for like, well, I'm digging in my heels. We're going to, you know, like ring the bell. It's time to go, you know, like, and, and the truth is I need to get there. So if I can get there, then I'm engaging, I'm engaging Kate's yeah. heart. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're listening, you're listening to hear, listening to hear. And I think you're right, Rob. I don't think we ever do all these things perfectly. And there is opportunity for repentance, including in front of your children, you know, for, for various negative responses to external behavior because at the end of the day that's the path we have to walk and and that goes for our spouses too you know listening well asking good questions you know trying to get to the underneath desires and and really trying to just not try to fix everything you know guys we just want to fix everything and because you know home depot has told us we could do it and they can help they can help they can help and you know we can't do it we we have to surrender and that actually is a daily thing to surrender not my will and we do it the the gospel gives us an invitation to that not my will your will be done on earth as it is in heaven right and and that's a daily rhythm for yeah. us yeah and in those moments where you and your spouse are not seeing eye to eye what is actually really at the root of it 99 times out of 100 is there's a core value that you're stepping on or that she's stepping on, right? I mean, there's something that I hold dear, an expectation going all the way back to the beginning. There's an expectation that is not being met or that I'm afraid won't be met. And that expectation is tied to my dreams, fears, anxieties, you know, desires. And so when we are in those moments where, you know, like I think this is an example, like, you know, do you send your kid to public school, private school, homeschool? Are you going to both work or one of you going to work? These type of conversations that a lot of these young families are having right now, either about to have kids, having kids, about to send kids to school, they're intense. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot going on and besides I, just what school does does our kid go to. And I think if you're starting from the place that you're on the same team, that you're on the same team, because you may have different, like... Um, you might have different presenting values, 
but ultimately you have the same desires. And if you can get to those desires, what you actually find is there's a lot in common. Right. Right. Sometimes we settle for dealing with the the present issue yes. at surface level. Yeah. I got to get down to the roots. Like, you know, wanting your kid to flourish is the same desire. Absolutely. You may say they're going to flourish better in public school or private school, but if you can agree that you just want your kid to to flourish, then you can start to move. Right. In that in that conversation. But I'm not going to get there unless I start engaging the heart. That's 100% right. Right, and how do I do that? I engage the heart by asking these open and powerful questions. Questions like, honey, why do you think private school is or is not the right way to go? Like, what is it about that? Or or what are you afraid of in this other environment? You know, move off school, you know, like talk about buying a house even. You know, like, what is it about this price point that has you so, so, you know, flustered? Is this, what are you afraid of or what do you want to see happening? How is this impacting you in a, in your peace, right? Like you seem very upset about this price point. Why is that? Now we're having the conversation, right? Where maybe my spouse has an opportunity to share. Well, because growing up, my family was always stressed about money. So something for me has been, I don't want to be stressed about money. And maybe we can afford that house, but maybe it's going to come at the cost of, of my peace, you know, mm-hmm. and that's not something I want to, I want to give up. Yeah. And then you've had a real conversation. And now you're having the real conversation. And it may, maybe that she's stressed out. Uh, she presents that she's stressed out about the price point, but actually it is everything that you just said. Yeah. And, and here's what I would say as, as just as we kind of come to a close is this process, I think the, the key takeaways from our conversation, this process, number one is ultimately grounded in discipleship. Yep. As parents, our number one responsibility is to disciple our kids, right? And discipleship has to do with the, their whole being. So therefore, I pursue the heart, the whole being of my child. Um, when we talk about uh, our marriages, this has to go both ways, right? As a husband, I need to pursue the heart of my wife. As a wife, I need to pursue the heart of my husband. I need to begin engaging with them in their deepest, realist ways, Um and then we can, you know, with that, we can begin to actually deal with the issue at hand. Yeah, that's right. So maybe, um, you know, what closing thoughts do you have for our young families as they begin to implement this process? Do you anticipate it going really smoothly at first? Is this something you have to work at? It's definitely something you have to work at. It's a skill, just like any skill you would get in your, your job or in your, you know, field of expertise. You know, it takes practice. And it, you may feel like it's, you may have a high EQ and you might feel it feels a little mechanical, but don't assume that it's not important because it feels that way. It just, you'll contextualize it as you practice it. It is, it is, I've used this tool in multiple different places. I use it, you know, with folks that I encounter that are non-believers and we have really good conversations often really quickly because we're able to just sort of walk that and it sort of becomes like a dance. So don't be afraid of, of, of using the tools or, or feel like it's too rudimentary, you know, for you. Yeah. Thanks. And give it time, right? I mean, give it time. like any, like any new skill, it takes time to develop and become a natural at it. Yeah. Rob would be happy to practice with you in his office. Yeah. Yeah. At, right. At any particular time. Yes. Yes. You can come, you can come pursue my heart. I have plenty to talk about. Um, <laughs> Well, let's see here. Uh, 
trying to think if there's anything else we need to say. I'm going to put some stuff in the show notes as always, guys, if you want to learn more about, you know, pursuing the heart or life on life groups or discipleship here at Chapelgate, um, look down in the show notes. We'll have some links there for you. But uh, Patrick, thank you as always for being part of um, our young family ministry, for sharing your experience as a young family, as a husband, as a father, but also as a pastor here at Chapelgate. Thanks for having me, Rob. 